And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, it is Wednesday. It is a post-inflation day, so we got to catch up a little bit on that. Of course, yesterday, Michael Leibowitz joined me uh, to discuss the Silicon Valley bank failure. Yesterday, we did talk a little bit about inflation expectations going into the report. Of course, the show ended before the report actually came out. So, CPI came out yesterday up about four tenths at the core and again that you know doesn't seem like a lot and everybody kind of got excited yesterday just a bit because well the inflation rate on a year-over-year basis dropped to six percent and that led to a bit of a market rally at the morning but again we kind of sold off into into the close yesterday then rallied back a bit right at the close but again markets finished up that was good news yesterday particularly following concerns over the whole Silicon Valley Bank situation. Um, This also followed the kind of, you can't really call it a bailout because it's not really a bailout, but the Federal Reserve making sure, along with the Treasury and FDIC, ensuring that all depositors would get their money back. We went into a lot of detail about that yesterday, but that gave the market some confidence to rally here. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. So inflation came out yesterday. The core inflation, excluding housing, actually, and what we could, this is what's called super core, um, actually rose pretty sharply. Now, this is the, the problem for the Fed. And again, the Fed looks at the core inflation rate more than the headline inflation rate. And that still remains very sticky uh, overall. If you just take four-tenths of a percent, which is what came out yesterday, multiply that by 12, that's 4.8% inflation for the next year. That's much higher, that's 5% roughly. Uh, That's obviously a lot higher than that 2% inflation rate that the Fed is looking for um, to basically stop hiking rates. So the question now becomes, and this was the great debate yesterday. That's what we should name the show this morning, the great debate. The great debate yesterday was, will the Fed hike next week at the meeting or will they pause because of the financial kind of event in the markets. Now, we've talked a lot on this show over the last year about the issue of the Fed causing some type of event. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've published the chart of the Fed funds rate with all the crises back through history going, every time the Fed hikes rates, they cause a financial event of some sort. Well, was Silicon Valley Bank the financial event or was it just the prelude to a bigger financial event later on. And, and again, you know, we don't know that answer, but we can go back in time to look at Bear Stearns back in 2007 when Bear Stearns failed because of financial stress on their, <laughs> with what they called their high-yielding uh, mortgage funds, which were basically more subprime mortgage-backed securities that basically imploded. Two big funds imploded, took the bank down, and the Fed and, and, of course, the government helped very quietly in the background to transition the sale of Bear Stearns at that time at $2 a share. And that prevented the actual bankruptcy of Bear Stearns, but it was effectively a bankruptcy. They were sold off, yes, but sold off at $2 a share. It was effectively a bankruptcy, right? So it just wasn't actually a bankruptcy. 
But the point was, is that immediately following that event, we talked about this yesterday, the markets rallied back to all-time highs, assuming that that event was over. It had been solved. The financial event was, was behind us. Ben Bernanke at that time saying, don't worry about it. Subprime is contained. Of course, mid-2008, September of 2008, we have the Lehman moment and the financial crisis becomes realized. So this is the big debate right now. Was Silicon Valley Bank the Bear Stearns moment of this market? And markets are going to rally saying, okay, well, the Fed took care of it. It's all good. Depositors are fine. Or is Silicon Valley Bank just kind of the first straw of the camel's back? And we're going to find out more about this over the next few months, you know, next couple of quarters. I don't know the answer to that, but I think we have to at least be aware of that potential risk because the Fed is hiking rates. Now back to the original question, is the Fed going to continue to hike rates? That's the big question. That's the big debate. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at some of that inflation data, talk about you know when or if and likelihood of the Fed hiking rates and what that means for the markets, of course. Uh, but let's do touch on a little bit about what happened with the market yesterday just to kind of get our market set up for the day. Futures this morning down about 500 points on the Dow. So that whole rally yesterday is going to get wiped out today, pretty much. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is the problem when you have this type of financial crack. Initially, people will go running back into it, going, oh, problem solved. Maybe not just yet. Now, we talked about on Friday that, you know, if we break these levels of support at the 200-day moving average and we fail to reclaim that by the end of this week, we're going to have a confirmed break to the downside. That puts the bears back in charge of this market, at least near term. Now, as we talked about on Thursday and Friday of last week, as the market was selling off, and this was, remember, the market was selling off last week because of, of comments being made about Fed policy, et cetera. And that is where, of course, that was the Senate banking testimony by Jerome Powell, saying very aggressive, you know, their, their stance on the market was still very aggressive. They're going to continue to hike rates. Inflation's not where they need it to be yet. Then, of course, you have the Silicon Valley Bank episode on, on Monday. Markets sell off, rally back a bit. Yesterday, this morning, we're going to have another down leg. So this is going to be a failure. We had a, a test of that 200-day moving average support yesterday that we had broken last week. Now, we're going to have to see what the market responds to today and how we do it. We've got until Friday, technically, to get this market back above the 200-day moving average. If we do, then we can say, well, that was, a, that was kind of a head fake break and markets have kind of regained their ground. If they don't get above that ground by the end of the week, this is going to be more of a confirmed break, suggesting that markets are going to either start to trade lower. Now, again, we tested these October lows. Um, I'm sorry, we tested the December lows. Uh, on Friday of last week. So again, we came down, retested those lows. Markets have bounced off that yesterday. That was good news, right? So this support line that we had tested with Monday's, uh, with the sell-off on Monday and the re reflexive rally yesterday, that was good. That retested that support level. But today we're going to probably wind up trying to retest this level. So again, we have a very tightly confined area where markets are kind of trapped between the 200-day moving average and those December lows. But if we break below that, we're going to be retesting October lows. So there is risk here. So again, you know, while it was very nice that we had this rally yesterday, 
the, the, this kind of relief reflex of rally, a lot of people ran into that expecting that, well, that's, you know, the market's fixed. It's not fixed. There are, there's still a lot of problems in the markets. The Fed has still hiked rates. And as we talked about yesterday, we're exactly one year after the first rate hike and we have an event. That's that lag effect that we've talked about a good bit. Now, we still have another 450 basis points from that March rate hike still coming into the system. So there is still pressure economically and financially on the system. So again, the risk of the markets right now because of this break of support, because we took out that rising trend line from the October lows, there is risk to the downside. So don't misunderstand that. Doesn't mean markets are going to crash and that we're going to, you know, you know, everything is going to go bankrupt. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there is risk to the downside. So again, this is why we're still holding a lot of cash. We're still overweight in our bond portfolios. Those are, are kind of the safety areas we want to be in for right now. So again, you know, any type of rally, and we talked about this yesterday, rallies, you know, sell into rallies, reduce risk. That's still the game plan for now until we get back above support and, and bulls can get back in control. That's not the case right now. We'll talk more about this and inflation and what the Fed is going to do coming up right after the break. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show link at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So again, uh, you know, kind of yesterday, everybody breathed a big sigh of relief as... The Fed, the Treasury kind of orchestrated a bailout of sorts. It's not technically a bailout, but basically it was a guarantee that if you have money in a bank above the insured limits, that your deposit was going to be fine. So that, you know, kind of gave this relief to this idea that, you know, we're going to have this big financial crisis. That's now not the case. So markets rallied a good bit on that news. The problem, though, is that the underlying as we were saying, the underlying causes of Silicon Valley Bank failure, Republic Bank, et cetera, and, and specifically with Silicon Valley Bank as just an example, it's just, you know, just kind of revisit that for just a quick second. This isn't the subprime crisis moment of 2008, where it was a bunch of bad debts and bad loans and there was a, and you know they were all going you know defaulting and those type of things that wasn't the case you know the the collateral that silicon valley bank had was treasuries mortgages those type of things they were it was good collateral as we discussed yesterday and uh, and if you haven't you know, listen to that show yet, I suggest you go to our YouTube channel and just look at yesterday's show and listen to that because Mike and I went to a lot of detail about Silicon Valley Bank and what's going on. But 
the issue wasn't the the you know bad collateral. It was the issue that the collateral prices they had had fallen. And as we discussed in you know yesterday's blog post, the culprit of that was mobile banking, right? You know, technology is all fine and dandy until it's not. And what yesterday, you know, what what Silicon Valley Bank showed us is one of the risk. And I'm not saying it's a, I'm not saying mobile banking is a bad thing. It's it's great. It's convenient. You know, I I love the fact that I can take a picture of a check and deposit it in my account. Those type of things, right? I love that. Very convenient. I don't have to drive to. I haven't been to a branch in months, right? The only time I go to the branch is when I have to actually do big things, right? So that's all fine and dandy. The, the the dark side of convenience and accessibility is exactly what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank. And we're, we're seeing this. Actually, there was an interesting article out this morning, and, and not surprising that this is happening. When you have money with a small regional bank, that's fine. You know, I, look, I love small regional banks. We have, we, have a, we have a bunch in town, right? Prosperity Bank and others, and, and, and I love a little small regional banks you know they're involved with the community they support businesses love that we have a we have a well we have a bank on our floor it does exactly that you know mid first bank here and you know they're they're great you go talk to them you get you have a personal relationship with a banker and and you know they can help you with your business and you know and and that's an awesome thing that's what makes the economy work right and this is the whole theory behind banking and the economy and and how money flow is supposed to work right we talk about m2 money supply right we talk about velocity of money so when money is created and this was the theory behind quantitative easing by the way when ben bernanke first you know did this is that by injecting liquidity into the system the banks would then take that money and make loans with it so, you know, I go to the bank. The bank says, yeah, I've got, I've got money I need to loan out because that's how they make money. I go to the bank say, hey, I'm going to start a business. They say, great, here's your money. Go start your business. I go hire people. I, I, I buy inventory. I do all that type of stuff. That all helps support the economy. That's what creates economic growth. So the velocity of money is how fast money is moving through the system. It's going from the banks to businesses to employees to consumers and, and right on down the line, and then recycles back through. And that's how you get economic growth, right? And that's the whole benefit of banking. And so I love regional banks because they are so they are, are much more directly involved in the community than, say, a J.P. Morgan. I'm not saying J.P. Morgan's not, right? I mean, it, but I'm just saying, you know, small little, there's a lot of small regional banks they have very specialized niches and they specialize on certain things like, you know, we're really focused on commercial real estate or we're really focused on multifamily or whatever it is, but they're really good at whatever business they do. They do other stuff too, but they're really, a lot of, a lot of regional banks will have very focused specialties that they, they do very well. And that's a good thing. The problem for regional banks, as we were talking about yesterday, and look, I'm going to get to the inflation thing, so just bear with me. I got off on a track here. <laughs> you know, but, the, but you know, the, the bad thing about regional banks is, that, as we said yesterday, they don't have that investment banking arm division where they have all this other revenue coming in from investment banking and trading and portfolio management and all that type of stuff. So 
when the economy slows down, they really get impacted much more. And this is, as we talked about yesterday, that was the, the problem with Silicon Valley Bank. They had a very specialized niche and what they did. And so when trouble showed up, and this was the, the dark side of mobile banking, everybody went, you know, hit their phone and said, transfer my money to J.P. Morgan. And, and, and that's what we're seeing right now. Too big to fail, by an article out this morning, too big to bail banks flooded with deposits as bank run drains small banks of cash. See, there's the ongoing risk. And that can happen very quickly. And this is what happened. I mean, literally overnight, $42 billion leaves the bank. You know, if you have a business, right, and, you know, half your business leaves you overnight, you're probably not going to be in business today. There are very few businesses that have a 50, 60, 70% profit margin, right? So most businesses can't lose half their assets without, you know, getting into financial trouble of some sort. That's what happened. If if tomorrow morning I woke up and came, you know, came to here to do our business and half our clients had left, you know, we would be laying off a lot of employees. Just because that's the revenue, right? And and that's the business. So very few businesses can support losing $42 billion overnight. I mean, and that's what happened with the mobile banking situation. It's just, and again, it's what we're seeing now. I'll just read you an interesting quote. Over the weekend, amid uh, howls over SVB and other secured creditors, oddly enough, would be getting nothing while this is, of course, talking about the bailouts. Um, Today, one uh, one after another of many small banks that have failed among the deposit outflows are now leading. According to Bloomberg, J.P. Morgan, the largest bank in the U.S., is about to become much, much larger alone received billions of dollars in recent days and bank of america citigroup and wells fargo and company are also receiving higher than usual volume of inflows and that's simply just people going you know what i, I can't take the risk i don't want to lose my money so there this this is that run on the bank that we talked about in yesterday's blog post and this is that fear and here's the and this is the the dark side of accessibility and liquidity is that the bankers don't have any time to talk to the customers going Hey, just everything's fine. We're well capitalized. You don't have to worry about anything. You're, you know, and just nobody's talking to anybody anymore. There's that that customer service link is broken. And so now it's just all emotion. And then I can just go to my phone and I can be emotionally charged and just start making transfers very quickly. That leads to further problems ultimately in the banking system. And and that's why, you know, despite this this de facto bailout, you know, yesterday. You know, the reality is, is that there's still a lot of risk in the system. And and, and I, I don't think you can overlook that because of the problem with the flow of liquidity and how easily that liquidity can be drained from a bank. And and look, I, I, I won't be surprised if we don't see some restrictions, you know, after this and in a few months where, you know, you can only withdraw so much out of your bank account at one time, you know, via your mobile phone, right? Don't, don't be surprised if that shows up in the next couple of months because of this reason. But this, but why did all this happen, right? So I told you I was going to get back to the inflation thing. But the question is, is why did this happen, right? 
what caused the Silicon Valley Bank issue? What caused the, you know, the, the other issues with other banks? And that's a function of higher interest rates. Again, the collateral that Silicon Valley Bank had was just fine. The only problem was is that their collateral had gone down in price because the Fed was hiking interest rates. So here's the big conundrum. And we touched on this yesterday. And now that we have the inflation data out, and this is what we'll pick up with after the break, but this is the big conundrum for the Fed. You know, do you keep hiking rates to combat inflation or do you adjust your policy to accommodate for a potential banking crisis? Now, you know, at the moment, everything seems to be okay, right? I mean, because we've put this facility in place and, and now the bank crisis was solved yesterday and we've got the Fed meeting next week and now we have the inflation data. So the question becomes... You know, what's the Fed going to do? And, and this is going to be an interesting challenge for the Fed, particularly given the very hawkish language that they had last week. But when we come back, we'll take a look at yesterday's inflation report. Talk about what was in that report specifically and what it kind of all potentially means for the Fed, who is now caught between this rock, which is the financial stability rock, and the resurging inflation hard place. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so talking a little bit about you know, again, just kind of recapping a little bit to tie all this together um, as we try to figure things out. Futures down this morning, uh, Dow down 554 right now, NASDAQ down 181, S&P's down about 65, 69, sorry, um, this morning. So, you know, futures are going to be down at the open. But the reason that Again, as we said, the, you know, the reason we're having these, this banking crisis is because of the depression of collateral because of higher interest rates. 
And this also really drives a stake through the heart of this whole idea that, oh, our banks are well capitalized that we keep hearing from the Fed every year when they do their annual stress test, right? Because they have these stress tests that come out and they say, well, you know, if employment does this and if interest rates do that, banks are fine. There's no problem. And then, of course, as soon as interest rates do this or that, then we find out they're not fine. So, <laughs> so much for stress tests, not stressing things. Um but the issue is is a function that the Fed is hiking interest rates, and this goes back to why the, the Fed is hiking interest rates. And it's because of inflation. And so now the big debate is whether or not the Fed will hike rates next week at their next Fed meeting. Now, as of last week, there was a near 70% expectation that the Fed would hike by 50 basis points at the next meeting because of what we're seeing going on with inflation. This was before we had the inflation report yesterday and the financial situation. But even with that, you know, situation with Silicon Valley Bank and what's going on, the expectations are still that the Fed will hike rates by quarter basis point next week. Now, the, the big question is, is well, you know, there, there are certainly some calls, Goldman Sachs and others, saying they should just pause here, just stop hiking rates, right? You've gone too far. And we've said this before, they were going to hike rates until they broke something. Well, now you've broken something. But this is where, as I said, the Fed is caught between a rock and a hard place. Do you pause on rate hikes? And again, a pause is very different than a pivot. I was explaining this with um, Charles Payne yesterday on Fox Business. A pause and a pivot are two very different things. A pause is just stopping hiking rates. A pivot is cutting rates. Now, markets are still expecting the Fed to be cutting rates by September. And cutting rates pretty aggressively. Now, I caution you that if the Fed is cutting rates, you probably don't want to be long equities when we get to that point. Because something has broken. You're in a recession, whatever it is, but markets will be repricing lower because of Fed rate cuts. But the inflation numbers yesterday certainly don't suggest the Fed should be pausing rate hikes. Now, take the financial situation out with Silicon Valley Bank. Let's set that on the side for a moment. Let's just assume it didn't happen, right? The Fed would be hiking, based on the inflation data yesterday, the Fed would hike rates next week. Now, quarter point, 50 basis points, that's a different, different argument. But if you take a look at what the Fed looks at, now look, yesterday's headline CPI number came in at a 6%, 5.99%, technically 6%. Year-over-year -year inflation rate. So the, the inflation yesterday for February was 6% versus where it was in February of last year. So the year-over-year -year change was 6%. But the core inflation came in at increased by 0.4%. Now, that core inflation is what the Fed actually looks at. When you take out the housing component, it even rose more than that. The Atlanta Fed has um, inflation calculations that they run, and they that's a sticky price CPI versus 
nominal CPI or what they call flexible. Sticky CPI in February of 2022 was 6.34%. It was 6.81% yesterday. That is still way too high of an inflation print for the Fed to be pausing or cutting, right? The, the Fed's big concern is a is inflation starts to come down and then it reaccelerates. Well, what would cause it to reaccelerate? More liquidity in the system. Now let's back up for a second to how we got in this mess in the first place, right? This is what everybody seems to forget. You know, a lot of the, the media and the analysts, they assume that this inflation is organic. There's just people running around, buying stuff, doing everything in, the, in, in their normal activities, and they're making money, and wages are up, and, you know, this is all organic activity. But let's go back to how we got in this mess, as they say, and that was because of $5 trillion worth of liquidity flooded into the system. You sent checks to households, gave people the ability to buy stuff. They went out, were buying a lot of everything that they could because like, they were like, free money, let's go spend it. They went out and spent it. And of course, you didn't have the economic supply because we shut down the economy, which created too much supply for too little demand. Basic economics 101, if supply outstrips demand, prices have to move where? Higher, right? We explained this the other day using an auction as an example, but that's what happened in the economy. Now, that doesn't just, you know, when, and as we said before, just because Brent spends his $1,500 doesn't mean that money is now spent, it's done, it's out of the system. The person he spent the $1,500 with now has his $1,500, they spend it, the next person they spend it with, they spend it, so forth and so on. So it takes time for this money, this monetary you know, bulge, to work its way through the economy. And that's what we're working on. So inflation is going to come down as a function of just that money supply working its way through the system. But the Fed's big concern is, is that if I start cutting rates, and the Fed knows this, by the way, but this is what the Fed's concerned about. If they start cutting rates and, and, and theoretically even reversing quantitative tightening and going back to QE to bail out some financial situation, now we're putting monetary accommodation back into the markets. People then start running out and doing exactly the same thing they're trying to stop, right? Which is buying stuff and transacting business in the economy. Then inflation starts to research. That's the big fear from the Fed. So this is this is the problem the Fed faces now. Is like I've got this financial crisis over here. Hopefully, the band aid I put on it by ensuring that everybody's going to get their deposits will solve that problem. It really doesn't because it doesn't solve the collateral problem for banks, which is a function of higher interest rates. So yes depositors are like, Whew, okay, I can go get my money out of the bank. And they're doing it in mass now. So they're going out and they're transferring all their money from regional banks into JP Morgan. So JP Morgan, or we'll just call it JP, uh, JP Mega now, because they're going to be, they, they already are the largest bank in the U.S. And now those, they'll just become the U.S. bank eventually. Um, we'll, have to, we'll just have to nationalize the five big banks ultimately at some point. Um, but... So money's leaving these small banks to go to JP Mega, which puts 
all these regional banks now at risk because now what's happening? They're losing deposits, right? Now their capital ratios are, are impaired. They've got all their deposits are leaving, which means their income is impaired. You see where the problem becomes. And this is the problem with bank runs. As we talked about in yesterday's blog post, which is on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So this is the challenge the Fed faces is that they've got real inflation problems still present. Inflation is not at a level where they can look back and go, okay, we've conquered the inflation boogeyman so we can pause here. That is not what the inflation data said, particularly at the core level, which is what the Fed looks at. And even if you just do some basic, simple math and you just look at core inflation yesterday up 0.4 tenths of a percent yesterday for last month, right, for February. Take 0.4, multiply it by 12, that's 4.8%. That is still, just round it up to five, that is still 300 basis points higher than the Fed's target rate of 2%. None of that says that the Fed should be stopping hiking rates other than the only excuse for not hiking rates next week is there is a much bigger issue brewing in the financial sector that nobody's talking about in the headlines. And the, and the Fed knows this, right? The, the Fed has the pulse of the banks. They're talking to, trust me, the Fed is talking to the banks. They're on the phone with these banks going, hey, tell me what's going on. So I think you have to be aware of that. And I think next week, I don't know what's going to happen next week. But I find it hard to imagine that the Fed is not going to hike rates next week by at least a quarter basis point. Two things happen next week if they don't hike rates, right? If they don't hike rates next week, that's going to really kind of ring in an alarm bell that there is something wrong financially with the, with the system, which may cause another run on banks and markets, impacting consumer confidence, causing other issues. If they don't hike rates, then they become, they kind of get caught in the trap of, okay, well now the Fed has pivoted. And so when you try to hike rates next time, it causes a bigger problem. It's a very interesting trap that the Fed has got themselves into. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to extract themselves. I have a feeling it's not going to be gracefully. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Futures down 525 on the Dow this morning. Yields falling on bonds. So a little bit of a repeat of kind of Monday's kind of sell-off with the SVB financial situation. Kind of reversing. Well, if markets end where they're going to open, we'll reverse all of yesterday's gains. So basically just be kind of back at the lows 
but you know, one of the questions that keeps coming up, I, I told you uh, when this SVB thing happened over the weekend, my wife asked me, she goes, well, are taxpayers going to, you know, am I going to have to be, you know, funding this bailout? And, and, and it's interesting because the answer is yes. You know, taxpayers will fund these bailouts. But on the surface, it doesn't look like a taxpayer-funded bailout because the FDIC is the one that's insuring these deposits. Now, let, let me explain to you a couple of things. When you execute a transaction uh, in, in your stock trading account, right, you will notice on your and – this, and this was really much more relevant back in the days where we had commission trading. But you would notice a little SEC fee that was it, was, it was always like a penny or two cents. It's very minimal, right? It's, not, it's nothing. You don't even notice it. A lot of times it's just embedded in other transaction fees that you don't see at all. Um, but what that funds is, is the SIPC, which is the Security Investors Protection Corporation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that is what provides the $500,000 in coverage for your investment account. FDIC is funded by bank transact bank fees, right? So banks fund into the FDIC. So the FDIC comes out, they said, hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make sure these deposits are good. Of course, that's all funded by banks, Wall Street, et cetera. So it's not technically a taxpayer funded bailout. But it is. Because where does the money come from? See, the money just doesn't magically show up, right? It all comes from taxpayers anyway through transaction fees, right? So when you go to the bank and you have a transaction fee on your bank account or you, or you do some, you know, you pay loan interest, all those type of things, the money all comes from you. Yes, the, the, the banks may be paying into FDIC, but it's with your money, Right, because ultimately all the money, if if think about it this way, if everybody just stopped spending tomorrow, right, there would be no revenue. Because this is where companies make their money from. Money just doesn't show up out of thin air. It, it all starts at the, at the end of the day. We're seventy percent driven by consumption, right, which is consumer spending stuff. So. All these government agencies, FDIC, SIPC, they're all funded ultimately by the consumer, the taxpayer, at the end of the day. And, it, and it's going to get funded one of two ways. Either you're funding it now through fees that you're paying, or even if you're not now, and you are, either directly or indirectly. But whatever cost this is going to be is ultimately going to be borne by the taxpayer because it will be what? Passed on through to you in higher cost. Your fees will go up. Service charges will go up. And it may be fractional. to You may not notice it, right? It may be a nickel here, a dime there, you know, a small change in rates, whatever it is. But it's, yeah, you're going to pay for it. You know, and this is, this is one of the big conundrums 
that people don't understand about how things work and how you know banks make money, etc. It's all based on spreads. So again, you may not be paying it out of your pocket, so to speak, but you're paying it another. You're potentially paying it other ways as well. Let me, you know, a good example here. Look, the the, the Fed funds rate four point seven five percent. What's the rate that you get on your money market account at your bank or your CD at your bank certificate of deposit? It's not four point seven five. It's some amount less. Well, that differential is where the bank makes its money. So if you're J.P. Morgan, your money market rate is 0 to 0.5%, right? Nothing. And yet the bank's making 4.75 on your deposit. So that part of that profit gets funded over to the FDIC for these bailout fees. So again, you pay it one way or the other. It just depends on how you get there, but ultimately you're going to pay it. You know, uh, Wall Street Journal did an interesting thing. Uninsured deposits at SVB and Signature Bank will be covered by FD, FDIC's deposit insurance. So by the way, there is not enough money in FDIC to cover ba- bank bailouts. There's not even really enough money to cover all of a Silicon, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. If you have a if you have a massive default of if you if, you know if we go back to like a 2008 situation where you've got bank after bank after bank failing there is not enough money to cover those in FDIC there is not enough money to cover in the in the pension benefit guarantee corporation there is not enough money in that fund to cover all the pensions there's just not enough money. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, this is all going to wind up on taxpayers because if we get to a situation where a lot of bailouts have to be done, it is going to have to be funded through government debt and government spending. And there's just no way around that. So, you know, yeah, right now you can make the claim that taxpayers aren't on the hook for any of this. You're going to be on the hook for this at some point. You technically already are because you're paying for this stuff through fees that you pay now. But if this gets really bad, I'm not saying it is. Now, don't don't go run off here from the show this morning. And go, oh, Lance said the whole world's about to crash. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying is there is not enough money in these bailout organizations, <laughs> FDIC, SIPC. There's not enough money. There's enough money there to cover one or two. There's not enough to cover multiples. So however you want to slice or dice the onion, it's going to wind up that taxpayers are going to be on the hook at some point, somehow. Main Street Banks in America, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Main Street Banks in America and their customers are bailing out the tech firms and cryptocurrency giants who had uninsured deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. In addition, by offering $25 billion as a backstop to the Fed's lending program, the Treasury Department is committing public funds if the banks don't repay their loans. Now, remember, how did the bailout work? The the Federal Reserve is loaning money to the banks for a year at $0.10 on the dollar of their collateral that they post. If they don't repay that loan, there's a $25 billion taxpayer-funded loan uh, payment program to pay the loans. So again, 
you wind up on the hook for this at some point. The Treasury has put itself in the first loss position with money appropriated by Congress. If the Fed did use that money, it isn't clear whether the final cost of taxpayers would be. But the 2000 pro, 2008 program that provided $700 billion in public funding to help stabilize the financial system ended up costing governments about $31 billion. So again, you wind up on the hook for it at some point. So anyway. Next week, of course, is the, is the big key issue. Will the Fed hike rates? Will they not hike rates? I don't know. Nobody does. What the, nobody knows what the Fed is thinking now, particularly with what's going on. But, you know, the Fed is in a really tough spot between a rock and a hard place. Do you keep fighting inflation or do you bail out the financial system? What are you going to do? My suspicion is that they will hike rates by 25 basis points. They will probably soften their language somewhat on the inflation fight to try to keep markets more stable we'll see what happens in the meantime though just you know we'll, we'll see what happens today look markets are going to open down as i said uh, futures are down this morning dow's down about 544 right now uh, future wise we've had these days where we open down before and then rally back we may or may not today we'll see um, but just kind of keep paying attention to this credit swiss um, is a problem and that is another potential kind of linchpin to this whole financial crisis situation so we're going to be paying attention to what happens with credit swiss they're a big bank and they do have a lot of tentacles into other areas of the world economy so again you know credit swiss could be one of those more defining moments if something happens with that bank and they've been on the ropes for a while so we'll see what happens here. But this morning, um, one of the big investors um, from Credit Suisse is pulling out. So that's, you know, starting to send some ripples kind of through the market on the financial side as well. And that's one of the things weighing on the markets this morning. So just be a little cautious here. If we do get a bounce, you know, again, in the next day or so, markets are oversold. So, again, a little bit of a bounce here over the next couple of days. Won't be surprising, but as we said, you know, on Monday, if you get a bounce, sell into it. That was yesterday. Um, these bounces may be not sticky for a while. So, again, kind of use them to reduce risk, rebalance your portfolio accordingly, and then uh, we'll just have to navigate it from there, particularly as we get into next week. We'll talk more about that. So, anyway, uh, tomorrow I'll be back with you to talk about markets, what happens today, where to go to from next. Um, be sure to get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our article on the kind of the bank runs is on the website now. Michael Leibowitz's new article is out this morning as well on the website. Also, make sure and subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. Uh, that is, you know, go to our YouTube channel, click on the Before the Bell videos, subscribe to that channel. That's our new channel for three minutes on markets and money. That's there for you as well. All right, lots of stuff, all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.